here we go. It's your main man, Johnny YouTuber, back on YouTube with your favorite type of YouTube video, a reaction video. All right, okay. So you know what to do. Smash that thumbs up, destroy that like button, hit that subscribe with all your might, do some other action verb to that bell thing you gotta ring these days, and whatever doodads and knickknacks and doogads you gotta click and buzz in order to make things happen in the algorithm, whatever, you know what to do better than I do. All right, Johnny YouTuber, and we're gonna watch my favorite YouTube channel today. It's gonna be one hell of a reaction video. So I hope you're all buckled in. Yeah, we're gonna watch the Tesla channel on YouTube because apparently that's a thing that exists and I watch it all the time. And guess what? There was some kind of big live stream the other day. Our main man, our, our homeboy, Elon Musk occupy Mars. Yeah, we're going to Mars, man, with Elon is taking us there. It's gonna be so great. Apparently, he has just unveiled a new robot. A robot! Can you believe it? What is he gonna do next? This is mind-blowing stuff. Uh, probably has has sharks with lasers coming out of their eyes on its head, and it can probably do spinning cartwheel and 720 backflips and whatever, skateboarding. It can do anything, I'm sure. It's Elon Musk. It's gonna be awesome. So, I'm prepared. I got my GMO heavily processed, overly salted popcorn from a bag and my sugary cola from a plastic container because you know me, I love science. And more importantly, I love Elon. Smash that like button if you like him too. All right, uh, let's watch this. This is gonna be great, man. So uh, let's see, with that, because what, Sandy? Hey guys, I'm Milan. I work on Autopilot and the Tesla bot. And I'm Lizzie, a mechanical engineer on the project as well. Okay. Oh, you um, can tell how so good we, this is going to be because of how awkward it is. Before we do that, right. we have one, one little bonus tip for the day. This is actually the first time we try this robot without any backup support. Cranes, mechanical mechanisms, no cables, nothing. Yeah. I want to do it with you guys tonight, but it's the first time. So let's see. You ready? Let's go. Oh. oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Here it comes. Here it comes. Okay, everybody, wait, wait for it. Wait for it, it's gonna do something incredible now. Watch, watch, watch. Okay, it's gonna, it's gonna do something. It, it's gonna do something, right? that nonsense what am I what am I doing where am I what's 
going on? It's like I've been brainwashed into some kind of cult. Ah, yes, that's better. No, I am not Johnny YouTuber. I am James Corbett of The Corbett Report. You're tuned into The Corbett Report podcast here in October of 2022 for episode 429, Meet Elon Musk, Technocratic Huckster. And yes, as you may or may not have noticed over the past several years, the cult of Elon is strong with many fanboys out there. And... If recent events are any indication, they're stronger than ever. I mean, my God, is there anything that this Elon Musk character cannot do or will not do or try to insert himself into? I mean, he's consulting with Putin. Or maybe not. But then again, maybe so. On how to end the war in Ukraine that he actively supported with Starlink using government money, of course. But whatever. He's also going to give Taiwan back to China, apparently. Why not? I mean, it has nothing to do with the fact that Tesla's Tesla's Shanghai factory accounts for 30 to 50 percent of their uh, total production. No, 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 no. Honest, guys. He's just motivated by love for humanity. And now, here he is, unveiling this ridiculous, slapped-together, wires-hanging-out robot from the 1970s that can take six awkward steps as if it's defecated in its pants and then awkwardly wave to the audience before doing some cringy Elon Musk-esque dance. (laughs) I guess the robot learnt from the master on that one, huh? And meanwhile, the Boston Dynamics robots are running over balance beams and doing backflips in in shame at the fact that they are only capable of doing parkour. I mean, is there anything that this real-world Tony Stark character cannot do? I jest, of course, but I do not jest about the fact that the cult of Elon is strong. I mean, hey, he's going to save Twitter again. As if that's something that we need or should want in the first place. Yay, that controlled outlet. Centralized communication, guys, that's where it's at. It's absolutely amazing the things that people can get themselves to be on board with because Elon Musk is promoting it. And if you think the Tony Stark reference is just because, oh, you know, he appeared in Iron Man too. I mean, hey, that's, look at that. Uh, isn't that funny? You got Tony Stark and Elon Musk appearing together. But wait, wait, do you, do you know that in fact, this isn't art imitating life. This is life imitating art imitating life that was imitating art. Because, yeah, no, did you know Robert Downey Jr., one of his original uh, templates for the Tony Stark character was, of course, Elon Musk. As he prepared to begin filming Iron Man in early 2007, the director John Favreau rented out a complex in Los Angeles that once belonged to Hughes Aircraft, the aerospace and defense contractor started about 80 years earlier by Howard Hughes. The facility had a series of interlocking hangars and served as a production office for the movie. It also supplied Robert Downey Jr., who was to play Iron Man, and his human creator, Tony Stark, with a splash of inspiration. Downey heard some rumblings about a Hughes-like figure named Elon Musk, who had constructed his own modern-day industrial complex about ten miles away. 
Instead of visualizing how life might have been for Hughes, Downey could perhaps get a taste of the real thing. He set off in March 2007 for SpaceX's headquarters in El Segundo and wound up receiving a personal tour from Musk. My mind is not easily blown, but this place and this guy were amazing, Downey said. When he returned to the Iron Man production office, Downey asked that Favreau be sure to place a Tesla Roadster in Tony Stark's workshop. On a superficial level, this would symbolize that Stark was so cool and connected that he could get a Roadster before it even went on sale. On a deeper level, the car was to be placed as the nearest object to Stark's desk so that it formed something of a bond between the actor, the character, and Musk. After meeting Elon and making him real to me, I felt like having his presence in the workshop, Downey said. They became contemporaries. Elon was someone Tony probably hung out with and partied with, or more likely, they went on some weird jungle trek together to drink concoctions with the shamans. After Iron Man came out, Favreau began talking up Musk's role as the inspiration for Downey's interpretation of Tony Stark. It was a stretch on many levels. Musk is not exactly the type of guy who downs scotch in the back of a Humvee while part of a military convoy in Afghanistan. But the press lapped up the comparison, and Musk started to become more of a public figure. People who sort of knew him as that PayPal guy began to think of him as the rich, eccentric businessman behind SpaceX and Tesla. Yes, Earth to Elon Musk fanboys, no, your your desire to see Elon Musk as this cool, jet-setting, billionaire, tech guru guy who's going to save us and bring us this cool future, just like Tony Stark, is not some original idea that just spontaneously appeared in your mind and you noticed the parallels and then they picked up on that and, hey, we'll put Elon Musk in part two, right? No, 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 no. This was, from the beginning, part of a media creation, a creation of a character for the public. And here's the template for him. It wasn't art imitating life. It was life imitating art, or more accurately, imitating propaganda that was being constructed. And why was Hollywood so, so eager to be on board with Elon Musk? Back way back then in 2007, 2008, back in the early days. How about even earlier. Because yes, just like you could look at a completely artificially media-constructed character like Greta Thunberg, who just just so happened that on the very same day, the very first day of this climate strike by this absolute nobody, some Swedish schoolgirl in the middle of nowhere who just all by herself just spontaneously decided to go on a climate strike literally by herself outside of her school on that very day, who shows up but an ex-financial PR executive with a freelance photographer to snap pictures and make videos about her, post her to Facebook and YouTube, get tens, ultimately hundreds of thousands of views, and generate viral interest in this Swedish schoolgirl that 
Who the hell knew she was on strike? Well, apparently this PR executive did, and lo and behold, she goes on to become the uh, Ig Nobel War Prize-nominated Time Fuhrer of the Year-winning climate activist extraordinaire. Wow, it's almost like the media concocted that out of whole cloth. Hey, here's a convenient tool, a prop to use uh, in this artificially constructed media narrative of ours. And wouldn't you know it, of all of the people making all sorts of crazy millions back in the 1990s during the dot-com boom when everyone and their pet, or is that pets.com, was making crazy amounts of money in Silicon Valley, who was the one, who was the one that the CNN cameras decided, oh, we'll pick this guy to follow around and do some bizarre contextless, why the hell are they showing this? This clearly is not news. Puff piece about, other than, at the time, a relative nobody, Elon Musk. Hi, Elon Musk. I expect to receive a car that I've just bought, which is called McLaren F1. There are 62 McLarens in the world, and I will own one of them. It's a million dollars for a car. It's, it's, uh, it's decadent. Back in 95, there weren't very many people on the internet. Um, and certainly nobody was making any money at all. Uh, most people thought the internet was going to be a fad. Wow, I can't believe it's actually here. It's pretty wild, man. This is definitely very cool. I like it a lot. Congratulations. Just three years ago, I was showering in the, yeah, at the Y and sleeping fun. on the office floor. <laughs> and now, um, obviously, I've got a million-dollar car and quite a few creature comforts. It is a moment in my life. <laughs> All clear. My values may have changed, but I'm not consciously aware of my values having changed. My fear is that we become spoiled brats. That we lose a sense of appreciation and um, perspective. It's the perfect car for Silicon Valley, it really is. There it is, gentlemen, the fastest car in the world. This is CNN. And Darth Vader is telling you, this is your new robot overlord. <laughs> yes, you cannot make this stuff up. That was CNN 1999 featuring one of the many, 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 many newly minted Silicon Valley millionaires, Elon Musk, who at that time had just freshly founded X.com long before, well, before it turned into PayPal and before it was really anything to speak about. But they didn't even try to cloak that in the sense that this is some sort of news story. What was the news value of that particular puff piece? It was a PR piece. One might wonder who paid what to who, what to whom in order for that to air. But at any rate, it certainly served the creation of the mythos of Elon Musk. Well before the general population had any idea who this guy was, let's feature him in this hard-hitting news report about him getting into McLaren F1. Yeah. Cool. Interesting, isn't it? And it does start to raise questions. But I know, I know there might be some out there who still 
clinging on to their fanboydom. Well, come on. I mean, he's one of the cool billionaires. He made his money the, the good, old-fashioned, honest way. And he's he's cool. He smokes pot on Rogan. And he makes memes and jokes about Bill Gates. See? He's on our side. He's one of the good billionaires who just happens to promote absolutely every one of the fundamental globalist agenda items. And the pace of change is, is going to require us to do more fundamental reimagining of our social and political arrangements. And so we're going to have to consider new ways of thinking about these problems, like a universal income. There will be fewer and fewer jobs that a robot cannot do better. Okay. What to do about mass unemployment? This is going to be a massive social yes. challenge. Um, and I think ultimately we will have to have some kind of universal basic income. Aujourd'hui, au bout de ça, on parle de puces qu'on pourra s'implanter. Ce sera quand ça Certainement dans les dix années à venir. Et d'abord, on va les implanter dans nos vêtements, uh -huh. c'est-à-dire wearables, comme on le dit. Et après, on pourrait s'imaginer qu'on les implante dans nos cerveaux ou dans nos topos. Et à la fin, peut-être il y a une communication directe entre notre cerveau et euh, la, le monde digital. We've simplified this to simply something that is uh, about the size of a large coin, um, and it, it goes uh, in your skull, replaces a piece of skull, um, and the wires uh, then then connect uh, within a few centimeters or about an inch away from. The device. I mean, fr frankly, to, to sort of simplify this, uh, what, what we're, I mean, it's more complicated than this, but it's, in a lot of ways, it's kind of like a Fitbit in your skull with tiny wires. So I guess one question is, how essential is, at a, at a governmental level, you know, a carbon tax or something that prices carbon to create the right incentives? Yeah, it's absolutely a carbon tax, if it's politically adoptable, if that can practically happen. A carbon tax at quite a high level that you know has some resemblance to the green premiums for these products, uh, so it'd have to be like a hundred to two hundred dollars a ton that sends out the clear uh, market signal so we need to go from having an untaxed negative externality and if, which is effectively a hidden carbon subsidy of enormous size. Uh, $5.3 trillion a year, according to the IMF, every year. Um, we need to move away from this uh, and, 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 and have a carbon tax. So what can you do? I would say whenever you have the opportunity, talk to your politicians, ask them to enact a carbon tax. We, ha we have to fix the unpriced externality. I would talk to your friends about it and fight the propaganda from the carbon industry. Elon met with biotech company CureVac, one of Tesla's business partners who are currently working on a COVID-19 vaccine candidate that is being funded by Bill Gates. Tesla is working with CureVac in an effort to build a new kind of vaccine printer that can manufacture molecules. The new vaccine is being developed using Tesla's RNA printing technology a new biotech advancement that Tesla and CureVac actually began working on last year.
Oh, now, look, I'm perfectly well aware that people who are on the side of Elon Musk will argue that these clips are cherry-picked or that, well, he didn't really mean that. And there are many pieces of information that they could cite which seem to suggest that perhaps Elon Musk really is one of the good billionaires. He really is on our side, people. For example, in 2020, he came out as a freedom advocate. Give people their freedom back, he tweeted in response to a World's uh, Wall Street Journal editorial on do lockdown save many lives? In most places, the data say no. Give people their freedom back, he said. And he upped and moved from California to Texas, moved his business and his base of operations there in support of more freedom, relatively more freedom in another state, right? And he's he's been right about other issues, uh, as I'm sure my audience is well aware, PayPal backtracks on finding users for misinformation calls it an error, ha ha ha, but a lot of people weren't buying it, including David Marcus, a uh, I believe a former um, a former president of PayPal, at any rate, a far, former high-ranking uh, um, official in the company. It's hard for me to openly criticize a company I used to love and gave so much to, but PayPal's new AUP. Uh, goes against everything I believe in. A private company now gets to decide to take your money if you say something they disagree with. Insanity. And Elon Musk agreed, he he tweets in re reply. Yes, see, even, even Elon Musk, co-founder of PayPal, agrees that this idea that PayPal can deem you misinformation and fine you $2,500 per incidence is insanity, right? So he's on our side again. Um... There are, again, there are lots of things that you could point to. For example, this Fortune article from 2007 on the PayPal mafia, talking about some of the early co-founders and early employees of PayPal, including, of course, uh, Elon Musk, and uh, also this character who we looked at recently on Solutions Watch, Peter Thiel. And if you drill down into this article, you'll find some things that, again, you could say are in Elon Musk's favor. For example, talking about his ouster from PayPal, Musk still contends he didn't deserve his fate, that his biggest flaw was being cut from a different cloth. Peter, Max, and I are not directly aligned philosophically, he said. Peter Thiel, Max Levchin, and I. Uh, Peter's philosophy is pretty odd. It's not normal. He's a contrarian from an investing standpoint and thinks a lot about the singularity. I'm much less excited about that. I'm pro-human. You see, the reason that Elon Musk is interested in, in, in promoting the brain chip and the AI and all of this, the robots that will dance awkwardly and totally are going to be around in a few years to take all our jobs, guys. Uh, the reason he's behind this is because he's pro-human. Don't you get it? If we don't take the brain chip upgrades, we're going to be just mere biological life that the AI will eliminate. So in order to uh, prevent ourselves from becoming pets for the rising robots, we have to take the upgrade. So he's talked about this and AI being a fundamental threat to the human species. If you assume any rate of advancement in AI, we'll be left behind, he stated. We would be so far below them in intelligence that we would be like a pet, like a house cat. And that is one of the stated reasons that he has given for uh, for being interested in th pursuing projects like Neuralink, the Fitbit for your brain, where he's planning to brain chip people in order to get them on board uh, with the, the overall AI takeover of the planet. But don't worry, guys. They'll keep us around. We'll be like pets 
for these AI. But again, you could point to these things and some of the things that he says on the surface that he's not wrong about. Heck, he's even talking about overpopulation and that, indeed, overpopulation is the myth. In fact, it's underpopulation and we have to worry about the underpopulation crisis, as you might have heard, you know, James Corbett and many other people in alternative and independent media talking about for years, if not decades. But hey, good to see a billionaire is saying these things too. And you know what? He's not wrong. But it does raise an interesting question when we talk about uh, Peter Thiel's philosophy versus Elon Musk's philosophy. What is Elon Musk's philosophy? I think we need to start to drill down on that, come to a better understanding of that if we do want to understand where where Elon Musk is really coming from and what is he really promoting and why does he seem to be on board with all of these globalist agendas? Hmm, maybe, maybe we should start looking into the character and background of this person. And as Solutions Watch viewers will know by now, of course, you can do so by going to a number of different sites. Well, for example, as we talked about on Solutions Watch recently, you could... You could go to Wikipedia and you could find all of the boring sort of biography 101 sort of stuff that you'd find in any rundown of Elon Musk. He's a business magnate and investor. He's the founder, CEO, and chief engineer of SpaceX, an angel investor and proud product architect of Tesla Inc., founder of the Boring Company, blah, blah, blah. Born and grew up in Pretoria, South Africa, immigrated to Canada, went to Queen's University and then the University of Pennsylvania, Stanford University, attended for two days, founded Zip2, da 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 Okay, boilerplate biography. But as we talked about in Solutions Watch, obviously this is just for skimming the surface of the mainstream of the mainstream. This is what you are allowed to know about the Elon Musk character. And there are many, many references that you could point to and that you could click on if you are so inclined. But we could go deeper than that, right? Of course. It's the Corbett Report. We will go deeper. So let's go to Wikispooks, which of course does have an Elon Musk page with some interesting additional details that you probably won't find there at Wiki. Uh, Wikipedia, that is. Elon Reeve Musk is a billionaire U.S. businessman. Musk is mostly known for his two biggest companies, Tesla and SpaceX. He accumulated most of his wealth through government subsidies. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Uh, Musk is a member of a very influential group of friends of the Stanford University or University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign uh, named the PayPal Mafia, as he was involved in the early start of PayPal. SpaceX was founded with the help of Mike Griffin, who worked for CIA's venture capital arm and was later appointed as NASA administrator by George W. Bush. Bloomberg reported that he became a young global leader of the World Economic Forum in 2008. And there's a link, a citation. You need to find out more about it? Well, there it is, and it's even way backed for you, so you don't even have to give Bloomberg any of your traffic. You just click on the link, and you've got the Wayback Archive of the aforesaid Blue, uh, Bloomberg article, which will tell you all about Elon Musk becoming a gl young global leader back in 2008. So, again, there's a lot of information that we could dig up on uh, on this particular character in this particular drama. But maybe there's even more. I mean, again, if we're looking at what is his underlying ethos, where does what's his philosophy, where does he where does he come from on various issues? Well, we might we might start to look, for example, at the things that he puts on in plain sight, like Elon Musk's jacket at the Met Gala, which reads Novus Ordo Seclorum, which uh, let me check. Oh yeah, New World Order, right? Okay, yeah, seems about right. Um, 
first he was against COVID-19 vaccinations. Then he says that he is vaccinated for COVID-19 and he encourages people to get vaccinated. Um, Elon Musk's wealth increased by tens of billions of dollars during the COVID lockdown. Uh, Again, like many of the other billionaires uh, out there, um, he profited from it. Uh, Here's about his stance uh, in Ukraine. So talking about the SpaceX satellite funding of the Starlink venture, which I mentioned before, and which, as always, all of the all of the information that we're talking about today will be cited in the show notes at CorbettReport.com slash Musk, M-U-S-K. Um, but going on from there, talking about his Twitter moves and a critical look at Elon Musk. So definitely some good information in here in the Wikispooks article. But let's go even further. So obviously, I have some information on Elon Musk in the Corbett Report archives. So if you type in Musk, so you're going Musk into the search engine, you're going to find an awful lot because I have talked about him a lot. Um, in, at the very least, I've mentioned him in many different articles and things. So in fact, there might be a little too much. Let's search specifically for Elon Musk. And uh, right here, right off the top, this is the article that uh, we'll be looking through today because I think it contains a lot of information on this character and where he comes from. I start off by noting a tweet that he made um, a couple of tweets, actually, back in 2019, where I start saying, uh, imagine being the real-life Tony Stark, a billionaire, jet-setting, tech whiz playboy who's developing the multi-billion dollar rockets that will not only privatize space travel, but help get humanity to Mars. And imagine you announce the whole thing on Twitter with a big, splashy, Occupy Mars picture of the red planet, only to be told that you posted a picture of the moon by mistake. A red-hued blood moon, to be sure, but the moon nonetheless. How embarrassing. Luckily, the cool billionaire tech guru who's selling electric cars and building underground hyperloops and rescuing Thai children from caves and selling not a flamethrowers to raise some money on the side took it exactly how you'd expect he would, by tweeting a couple of laugh-crying emojis and a hearty, Moon too. What class. But then again, would you expect anything less from the man whom Werner von Braun predicted would be the future leader of Mars? Of course not. And for the... for people who really don't understand how the internet works, these blue words are hyperlinks, and you could click that and you would find more information about Werner von Braun talking about the Elon of the coming Martian government. <laughs> anyway, interesting little rabbit hole there, but more to the point, what many have may have missed in the back and forth about the moon Mars gaffe, however, is another tweet Elon Musk made about the scheme. Granted, this one is not quite so exciting to the general reader. Accelerating starship development to build the Martian technocracy. The Martian technocracy. What is this? More whimsy from everybody's favorite mega-rich tech geek? Uh, Sadly, no. In fact, what Musk's supporters might not know is that he has a very real family connection to the actual historical technocracy Inc. movement slash political party, which might help explain Musk's outlook, his rise to prominence, and some of his wackier, not to mention creepier, ideas on the eventual merging of humans and machines. So getting down into the the meat and potatoes of the article, as it were, for the three or four people out there who've never heard of Elon Musk before, the bullet points. Born in Pretoria, South Africa in 1971 to Errol and May Haldeman, a computer whiz kid who taught himself programming at the age of 10, moved to Canada in 89 and the US in 92 to study economics and physics at the University of Pennsylvania, went to Stanford to earn a PhD in energy physics, but dropped out after two days, started Zip2, a software company at the dawn of the dot-com boom in 95, and sold it to Compaq in 99, personally pocketing $22 million on the deal, at which time the CNN cameras show up at his door to watch the delivery of his McLaren. 
this guy's going places. That's where the story becomes familiar. As I elaborated in my article on The Brain Chip Cometh two years ago, and there's the link to The Brain Chip Cometh article, please do read through that. It contains more information, but here's just some of that information. Having made his first $22 million with the sale of a Zip2 web software company in February 99, Musk launched X.com, one of the first online financial service companies the following month. X.com then merged with its main competitor, Confinity, which had a money transfer service called PayPal. Musk served as CEO of the PayPal conglomerate until 2000 and remained its largest shareholder until it was bought out by eBay in 2002 for a cool $1.5 billion. Musk pocketed $165 million from the deal. From there, Musk founded SpaceX, which borrows money from the government at ridiculously low interest rates, and Tesla, which borrows money from the government at ridiculously low interest rates, and SolarCity, which borrows from SpaceX and Tesla. Neither Tesla nor SolarCity actually make money. Note, this was 2019. But in the age of entities like YouTube, uh, YouTube, which boasts a billion users but still has no timetable on reaching profitability, perhaps we can chalk that up to the new normal. As Market Slant noted in their expose of Musk's three-way government-sponsored arbitrage scheme last fall, and of course there's the link to the article, Elon Musk now has two companies that do not make money, Tesla and SolarCity. He has one that makes money from prepayments for services yet to be given, SpaceX. All are financed by the U.S. taxpayer at ridiculously below market rates. The table is now set for financing using inflated currency, sound familiar, in the form of Tesla stock to get real cash in Mr. Musk's, po- Mr. Musk's pockets. Sounds like some sort of children's story or something. Anyway, put a little mental asterisk next, next to that, using Tesla stock to get real actual money in Musk's pockets, because that does actually play a part later. But anyway, more recently, Musk has become known for his, uh, shall we say, eccentricities, like when he called British diver Vernon Unsworth, who helped in the Thai cave rescue of 2018, and who dismissed Musk's ham-handed attempts to help in the rescue as a PR stunt, a pedo guy. Or when he falsely tweeted that he was taking Tesla private and had funding secured. Or when he started selling flamethrowers to fund one of his business ventures, but renamed it not a flamethrower to help ensure it would still it would sail through customs without being confiscated. <laughs> what a card. Or when he smoked marijuana on the Joe Rogan podcast with 6% of Tesla's share value evaporating in one puff of smoke. To his fans, all of this merely adds to his mystique. He's just a fun, unpredictable guy who knows how to generate publicity and make money. However, as even his fans are forced to admit, this does mean he oversells and underdelivers on every project he ever announces. Update from 2022. How about the that super cool Tesla robot, guys? It's the way of the future, I tell you if you're living in the 70s. Production of actual working Teslas is consistently short of expectations, and whistleblowers have revealed that the production process itself is a hot mess. His grand vision of a futuristic NYDC and 29 minutes hyperloop quickly devolved into a normal car tunnel. His private space exploration company is the recipient of billions of dollars of taxpayer money. His tiny contribution to Tesla's $2.8 billion capital raise this year, which came after Musk's insistence that Tesla would not be raising any more capital, shows that he's either not confident in his own product or too far in debt to make a significant investment. But to his supporters, these failures are just signs that Musk's genius is constantly pushing him beyond the boundaries of current technology. His detractors have a simpler explanation. He's a con man. But if he were 
only a con man, that would be one thing. The problem is, he's much worse than that. As I also noted in my brain chip article, Musk is like Beelzebub, popping up every time the worlds of government funding military research and Bilderberg technocrats collide. When our good friends at DARPA hold a robotic challenge, Musk is there. When the World Government Summit convenes, Musk is the star attraction. Need someone to pimp transhumanism? Musk is only too happy to explain the potential dangers of AI and to present his solution. We must merge with the machines so that we're not irrelevant when the robots take over. And, oh yeah, he happens to have a company that's working on the first neural lace mind machine merger technology. Yes, wherever the globalist fat cats meet to discuss technocratic ideas for the future, it's a safe bet that Musk will be within spitting distance. But the part of this story you may not know is that Musk's technocratic proclivity is not just a happenstance of character. It's in his genes. You see, Elon Musk is the grandson of Joshua Haldeman. Never heard of Joshua Haldeman? He may not be remembered today, but he was a notable figure in his day. An American by birth, Haldeman moved to southwest Saskatchewan in 1996 at the age of four. During his eventful time in the Canadian prairies, Haldeman helped found the province's first chiropractic association. He waged a public health campaign against Coca-Cola and depending on whether you trust the Canadian Chiropractic Association or the Financial Times, and of course there's links to both of these claims, he was either the research director or the party leader, or potentially both, of the Canadian branch of the Technocracy Party. As I've discussed on The Corporate Report many times now, technocracy was a social movement slash philosophy slash political ideology seeking to construct a system of scientific control over society. In the technocrats' vision, which gained widespread traction with the public in America and Canada in the 1930s, the world would be divided into regional units called technates, which would be run by technocrats, scientists, engineers, economists, and others with specialized knowledge of specific technical fields. According to this ideology, economic and thus societal and even geopolitical turmoil could be eliminated if the technocrats were given control of the economy and all its aspects, from manufacturing to retailing to the currency itself. And then I go on to talk about why big oil conquered the world, and of course the, the founding of technocracy, people like Howard Scott and the original technocratic idea, before I go on to conclude, the Canadian branch of the Technocratic Party, meanwhile, gained enough attention to be banned in Canada, where, it was feared, this subversive organization of revolutionaries were conspiring to overthrow the government. This caused the disillusioned Haldeman to give up on Canada altogether. He packed up his things and moved his family to South Africa, which is where his grandson, Elon Musk, was born. This connection is not just tangential, it tells us something about Musk's roots and his vision, and it tells us that he says he is preparing to build the Martian technocracy, when he says he is preparing to build the Martian technocracy, he is not using that word in a careless way, he knows exactly what it means. As the Financial Times notes, maybe technocracy will finally have its day, appropriately enough, on Mars. Let's hope not. But first, we have to convince Musk's supporters why the creation of a technocracy is a bad idea. Well, good thing there's a handy-dandy documentary on this very subject that you can show them for free, and there's a link to Big Oil. So there you go. I, I, I think there are some 
pretty important points in here. And as always, as with all my work, many, many, many links to the actual sources of information here that I would highly encourage you to follow to find out more. And if you want even more, you could refer back to that book that we listened to that clip about uh, Robert Downey Jr. and Tony Stark earlier uh, by Ashley Vance, Elon Musk. Uh, It was a 2015 biography that is quite fawning in a lot of ways and certainly toes the line in a number of ways, but um, does give you more insight into that family background, Haldeman, um, his, uh, how Elon Musk venerated and in some ways tried to model himself after his grandfather, who I believe died either when Elon was very young or perhaps shortly shortly before or after he was born, but he was, he loomed large in the, in the family, um, uh, mythos. They, they talked about Joshua Haldeman a lot and the, um, his exploits and adventures moving the, the, the family around. So, uh, I, I think this is not some sort of tangential grasping at straws connection. No, literally Elon Musk is part of a family that was literally part of the actual card carrying, not just a member, but the leader of a technocracy party in Canada. Uh, that that's, that's a pretty big thing. Don't you think? I think that is. And so when he says all hail the Martian technocracy, we're advancing towards Martian technocracy. He knows exactly what he is saying there, and he knows the historical implications of that. So again, we can point to the nice things that he has said or done in the past. Elon Musk says civilization will crumble if we don't have more kids. Well, again, that's a point that I have expressed before. But one always has to wonder with Elon Musk what side his bread is really buttered on and why he is saying the things that he is saying. So, for example, let's just... Let's just bore down on one of his crazier ideas, not just the Hyperloop, but the boring company that this idea that he came up with just sitting there in traffic one day. Oh, won't someone do something about this? I know. We'll drill these giant tunnels. But, you know, I wonder if that has anything to do that the Tesla and boring company and Hyperloop and all these crazy ideas of his. I wonder if that has anything to do with the fact that he actively dislikes any form of mass transit. Do you think there's a do you think there's a deeper underlying reason why he's constantly putting down ideas for uh, for mass transit or for other types of systems that might horn in and sh- uh, into his his scams and schemes? Um, so this has been noted before. Um, Elon Musk reveals his awkward dislike of mass transit, um, all of which casts a curious light on facts. Uh, this the fact that last week Musk revealed he's no great fan of mass transit. The whole sharing space with other humans thing—it's kind of icky. There's this premise that good things must be somehow painful, he said on stage at a Tesla event on the sidelines of the Neural Information Processing Systems Conference in Long Beach, California. Maybe that might be a a topic of greater uh, scrutiny, that would bear some greater scrutiny, in response to an audience question about his take on public transit and urban sprawl. I think public transport is painful. It sucks. Why do you want to get on something with a lot of other people? That doesn't leave where you want it. That doesn't leave where you want it to leave. Doesn't start where, where you want it to start. Doesn't end where you want it to end. And it goes doesn't go all the time. It's a pain in the ass, he continued. That's why everyone doesn't like it. And there's like a bunch of random strangers, one of whom might be a serial killer. <laughs> okay, great. And so that's why people like individualized transport. That goes where you want, when you want. All right. Hmm. I wonder if there's any sort of financial motivation going on here. And that can be further explored in uh, an article that uh, got some notoriety at the time, some attention. Elon Musk is convinced he's the future. We need to look beyond him, um, which I 
I think just as a general sentiment is probably quite true. But um, yeah, it does note, for example, he has a history of floating false solutions to the drawbacks of our over-reliance on cars that stifle efforts to give people other options. The Boring Company was supposed to solve traffic, not to be the, last, the Las Vegas amusement ride it is now. As I've written in my book, Musk admitted to his biographer Ashley Vance that Hyperloop was all about trying to get legislators to cancel plans for high-speed rail in California even though he had no plans to build it. So it's particularly ironic that sometimes Musk is compared to Henry Ford, who, of course, as we all know, he was this revolutionary uh, businessman who had these crazy new ideas for making use of new technological developments to revolutionize manufacturing and production, specifically in the automotive industry. So obviously there's a lot of Musk-Ford parallels that are drawn but isn't it interesting, as you will remember from the Big Oil documentary, that Ford was saying, hey, we can make fuel out of absolutely anything that can be fermented, potatoes or weeds growing on the side of the road. All of it is fuel for the future. But no, 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 we're not going to pursue that. We're not going to pursue the, the electric vehicles that already existed pre-Ford. No, we're going to go with oil and gas and we're going to literally buy up and and uh, mothball uh, various public transportation systems that already were existing and flourishing in early 20th century America. And I go through that history in uh, in the Big Oil documentary, and I talk about the creation of the highway system and the scandal and scam that that was. And here is the Henry Ford of our time, right? Trying to scrap things like high-speed rail and potential actual advancements in actual real physical infrastructure, which would at least be something, um, because obviously it cuts into his bottom line as a car huckster. Um, this is explored in greater detail at Jalopnik. Did, did Musk propose Hyperloop to stop California high-speed rail? And it does cite that that our uh, previously uh, previous article that we were just looking at, but it does also talk about the the response from Ashley Vance that I talked about earlier, she was the biographer who wrote that 2015 biography that's quite laud laudatory. And uh, ultimately, to Vance, who has spent more time with Elon Musk than most people who aren't employed at Tesla or SpaceX, Hyperloop was a wild-eyed thought experiment that Musk put out in the world that a handful of startups latched onto. Half the physicists that looked at the white paper were like, this is just laughable, he told me. He kind of just threw this idea over the wall and was like, you guys go make of it what you will. Is it on him or is it on some of these public officials for taking it seriously? If I'm a public official and you tell me you've got a better, faster, cheaper option for high-speed rail, I'm inclined to believe you, I replied. Is the culpability with the person selling the idea or the person buying it? Elon was never really selling the Hyperloop after the announcement, Vance said. The tunnel stuff, I think, is more, much more questionable. I still don't understand how the boring company digs tunnels faster or better than anybody else. Unlike SpaceX, Tesla, it's not clear to me that there's any major innovation in the tunneling. I just don't understand what the breakthrough is on that one. Well, join the club. Uh, I, again, what on earth is the point of that? Other than, of course, to misdirect the public and get them involved in yet another years-long swindle that eventuates in nothing, but certainly, ka-ching, ka-ching, watch the government dollars flowing into projects like these. So, it's a great grift if you can manage it, but there's a problem with this type of grift, is that, yes, Elon Musk, go look it up, he's the richest man in the world. According to the richest man in the world lists that you can find in various places. Believe them as far as you can throw them, because they, of course they do not list the generational wealth of the Rothschilds and the Royals and other uh, 
families whose names we do not know because they uh, do not want to be known. Um, but at any rate, the outward facing, here's, here's what we can see on the books, richest man in the world, Elon Musk. But he is tech's uh, cash poor billionaire, according to the Wall Street Journal. And when this article was written way back when in 2020, he was only worth $39 billion on paper. Well, now it's $240 billion. But anyway, who's counting? But the electric car maker who announced he's selling his house and most of his worldly possessions needs a wad of money to exercise his latest payout. Uh, because, uh, of course, as with so many of these billionaires that are, again, on the front-facing billionaires that the world whose names the world knows don't actually have billions in their bank account. Of course not. It's in these various companies that they sit on the boards and they're the CEO and they have various shares and they can ta- exercise options to to uh, sell shares at various times, but only in certain windows and following certain rules. And if they don't play right, they're going to be taken down by the enforcement agencies. And by play right, of course, it doesn't mean following the letter of the law and doing things that way. No, it means by saying the right things and doing the right things in service of the establishment, as we all know. that's They can take you down in a moment, in a moment if they wanted to for tax evasion of some various sort, if they wanted to. And it's like this for Elon Musk and all of these other controlled billionaires. Um, who get to be the front face for various globalist agendas. And that plays into what we mentioned before about the selling Tesla stock as a way to cash in on the, all these government subsidies that have come in over the years. And that plays into this Twitter deal. Again, he's going to save free speech by taking this controlled platform. And uh, one of the things that he has specifically has been floated at any rate as a potential for where he's going with this, uh, oh, Twitter's all bots, is that, well, what we need is real identity. We need to identify you and have you registered or whatever, whatever the plan will be in order to make sure it's not bots on Twitter. Yay, wait, is this the ID for the internet that's coming in through the back door? Who knows? We'll see. But in the meantime, remember back when he wasn't going to buy Twitter and now he is again, maybe, whatever? Well, if Elon Musk walks away from the Twitter deal, it could actually save him $400 million in taxes because you might remember that there was that clause that basically, um, as they were negotiating this 44 question mark billion dollar deal, there was the $1 billion uh, hook clause that, you know, if you walk away from this deal, you're going to owe us a billion dollars. Okay, well, there you go. That's So he's taking a billion dollar hit by attempting to buy Twitter and then not buying it. What what was that all about? Well, one of the things about that is that if he took that $1 billion as a capital gains loss, then he could write it down on his uh, taxes uh, to the tune of $400 million, meaning that ultimately it's not a $1 billion hit, it's a $600 million hit. But... What does that enable him to do? Of course, the entire Twitter deal allowed him to sell $8.5 billion in Tesla stock, which uh, he did exercise that option again. Why was he doing this? Oh, to buy Twitter. But even if he doesn't buy Twitter, he still gets the $8.5 billion Tesla stock sale, which isn't suspicious because he needed it to finance this other deal. That's what he's doing it for, right, guys? It puts actual liquidity in his pocket. And he he takes the billion dollar hit, but then he gets 400 million tax rebate. So really, it's 600 million dollar hit. So he ends up with 7.9 billion uh, of Tesla stock that he would not have been able to liquidate quite so easily if it weren't for this type of deal. So this is the way that these types of 
deals and, and, and mergers and acquisitions and all of this type of high finance stuff rolls. There are layers upon layers of financial trickery going on. This is just one window into the public side of it. Not that I think this is fundamentally what any of this is about. Again, you can look at the Hyperloop scam and the Boring Company scam and the I'm going to buy Twitter scam and all of these other scams, and you could see the monetary side of it. And that means something, but I don't think it fundamentally gets to what this is really about, does it? Uh, again, we've seen this before, actually, with regards to uh, Bill Gates. Uh, of course, the philanthrocapitalism that some, even in relatively mainstream spheres, started to call out, even before the scamdemic, but even into the scamdemic, calling out um, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation as a uh, essentially a business that was drumming up uh, business for the businesses that the Bill and Melinda Gates are invested in, and suddenly their foundation is supporting these particular types of industries and these particular types of ideas um, uh, in order to uh, essentially bring money in. And yeah, of course, Elon Musk is involved in similar things as well. But, but it's beyond that. It's It gets to something much, much darker. And here's one one window into that. Uh, for example, Futurism.com just recently had this article up. Battle erupts over alleged grisly photos of brain-hacked Neuralink monkeys. And I don't know if you guys were following this story at the time. I was when this started to come out last year that, oh, you know those cool bra brain-chipped monkeys that they used in that demo video that I played in the previous Corbett Report episode where they're playing ping pong or pong on the computer screen with their mind. Wow, it's so cool. This will be the brain chip future, guys. Well, it turns out actually no. A lot of those a lot of those monkeys died. Almost all of them showed signs of severe distress. It's a horrible, grisly, gruesome experiment. And yeah, trigger warning for people who really do uh, get very queasy about animal cruelty. Uh, maybe just skip ahead a few minutes because. Uh, it, it's truly, truly sickening, and whoever's doing this really does need to be held to account for it. Uh, a California university is refusing to release a cache of grisly photos of monkeys reportedly injured during experiments testing Elon Musk's Neuralink brain Im implant technology, in spite of a lawsuit aiming to force the school's hand. In a press release, the Physi Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine advocacy group said that it had learned the University of California Davis is in possession of 371 photos of the experimented upon monkeys that were subjected to Neuralink tests which took place at the school's veterinary lab facilities. Earlier this year, Neuralink admitted that a fifth of the 23 Reese's macaques monkeys it used to test its brain-hacking implants had been euthanized after developing inf infections and malfunctions. Malfunctions, think about that. Bolstering PCRM's credibility, that, uh, that admission came in the wake of its, uh, its complaint, a complaint it filed against Neuralink. Now, PCRM says it learned that UC Davis is in possession of the hundreds of photos depicting, among other things, uh, necropsies, uh, necro necropsies of animals killed in the experiments after filing a lawsuit against the school in February over its shielding of the photos, which the university argues are proprietary. It's our, it's our property, guys. You can't see it. UC Davis thinks the public is too stupid to know what they're looking at, uh, but it's clear the university is simply trying to hide from ta taxpayers the fact that it partnered with Elon Musk to conduct experiments in which animals suffered and died. And I'll throw in a link to 
other articles about this that go into more detail. Um, yeah, uh, absolutely. There are there's significant animal cruelty that's going on here, but even beyond that, I think again it goes even it goes deeper because again, what is the ultimate end goal of this? It is not to get an army of brain chipped monkeys. It is to get to an army of brain chipped humans. They are going to start to try to normalize this in humans. Come hell or high water, they are continuing along with this. And Elon Musk is there being the cool billionaire public face for this agenda. And, oh, you know, some people might die, uh, infections, malfunctions. You know, it's, if you want to make some AI, you got to break some eggs, right? And that's, that's what's going to happen. But perhaps even beyond that, personally, at a personal level, because there are lots, there are many, many, I would say, most of these billionaire credents are in service of the globalist agenda one way or another. They get put in positions where they are able to do what they do and get heavily subsidized by the government and helped along in 18 ways from Sunday that no average businessman would ever be able to get the type of help that Elon Musk got along the way in order to put him in the position where he's in. <laughs> but, of course, why? Why? Why do the, why is all of this support coming from? Because that is exactly this is the convenient front for a much deeper and darker agenda. And I find very few people actually starting to call that out and really identifying what that agenda is. But there are some out there. For example, as I hope Corbett Report listeners are aware, Jason Burmis has been doing some very important deep dives on Elon Musk and Starlink and SpaceX and the military uh, 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 connections there, as well as ultimately the transhuman narrative um, that is driving all of this towards the transhuman nightmare. Because although he's warning about it on one hand, he's also telling us to take the brain chips so that we can be better pets for the coming AI, I guess. Don't think about it, guys. We're living in a simulation. Uh, technology will save you. It's always just around the corner. Here's a robot that's going to dance like this for a little while, and you guys will love it. But as I say, there are many billionaires who are similarly oriented and are doing this, promoting this transhumanist agenda and other aspects of the globalist agenda and are being helped along in order to do so. What I think I find particularly galling about Elon Musk is that I understand where a lot of his fanboys are coming from. What it, why people are excited about him. Finally, here's someone on the public stage who has these big, grand ideas and is tapping into what I think is one of the most fundamental impulses of the human species. That inventor, explorer, we're going to go and find new frontiers, we're going to conquer them, we're going to find, we're going to develop new ideas and technologies, we're going to continue to expand and continue to develop Yes, that is the human spirit in a nutshell. That is what has driven humans for countless generations to get to the point where we're at. And even further, if it weren't for the parasitic elite at the top who are trying to steward over us and control us with their brain chips and their transhuman nightmare and the agenda at play, which is exactly what Elon Musk is doing. He's taking that energy, which could be, which is such an important part of the human spirit, and directing it directly into the globalist plans. Carbon taxes and brain chips and universal basic enslavement and everything else you can think of. 
That, to me, is what is particularly galling about the Elon Musk huckster. But there are many hucksters that can and should be called out, I suppose. And, well, there's plenty of more Corbett Report podcasts to be made. So uh, don't worry, other billionaires. I'm sure you'll get your turn. Um, Having said that, as I say, there's a lot of information that we've gone through today. So in order to process that information and come to a better understanding of it, I will, as always, exhort you to go to the actual documents that I am citing and to explore them for yourself. Maybe you'll come to a completely different understanding of Elon Musk than I do. Great, fine, but just start exploring. And one place to start that exploration would be CorbettReport.com slash Musk, M-U-S-K, and type that into your browser and you will go directly to this podcast where you can find the show notes with all of the documents cited in today's episode. And you will also find the comments, of course, where Corbett Report members are invited to log in and to leave more crumbs on this cookie crumb trail. (laughs) That momentarily escaped my mind for a second. Uh, Of finding out more information and seeing what rabbit holes this leads down. I'm sure there is plenty more that can and should be said, but this is a good start, isn't it? Having said that, I think we're going to leave this exploration here for today. I am your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, and I'm looking forward to talking to you again in the very near future.